Jeffy, as long as it's not your first, do that thing that you do when you start the show. <laughs> On tonight's Dad Band Land, here's some of what we're going to be talking about. That was good. Was it? God damn. I'm not committed. One, one, one it's time. not even a big deal. Maybe put your you're phone only, down and do it again. I'm looking at my notes and shit. That For is. that line? On tonight's dad. See, now it really sounds like you're reading. Yeah. It was, uh, that wasn't I, very natural. It's a cold Can you do reading. more of a natural read? It's a cold reading. I just wrote it right, before Do you I want to do some, some, some warm-ups, some actors' warm-ups? Yeah. Okay. Talk to, say it like you're talking to you're a gonna, friend. You're going to walk us through some stuff? Yeah, say, say she stood on a balcony. She stood, she stood on, on the balcony. balcony. Inexplicably <laughs> oh. mimicking him, hiccuping, and amicably welcoming him in. I, I don't want to say that. Well, then say the thing that you're supposed to fucking say. <laughs> on tonight, I did, but apparently it wasn't good <laughs> enough. Yeah. yeah, say it good. On say tonight's dad band land... Here's some of what we're going to be talking about. There we go. There we go. We got there. Hit it! All right. Wonderful bath of a, of a montage there, wasn't it? That um, sounded fantastic. Good work, yeah. Jeffy. Welcome Thank to you. Dad Band Land, everybody. This is your podcast that uh, talks about all the music we love and you love from the point of view of a neighborhood cover band, which, uh, you know, it's still kind of out there in the ether, I'd like to think. Oh, no, there's some progress, but I'm not going to discuss that this evening. I'm going to leave it hanging, but there has been some progress. Oh, mysterious. Yeah. Yes. Oh, boy. That other voice you hear, that's that's uh, my I co-host, am- Kevin Burke. I'm your host, Adam Felber. Say hi, Kevin. Hi, everybody. Um, yes, there is some it's some progress, but that's not tonight's episode. Tonight's episode has some surprises. All right, then let's introduce the rest of the crew over there. Um, with with the amazing amount of tattoos on him on his body, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> that would be real now life band manager and our good friend Brian Frank. Brian, what have you brought to, for the House of Wax today? Uh, in tonight's House of Wax, we have David Bowie, his fifth album, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust, and The Spiders from Mars. Never Woo! heard of it, but yeah. uh, it'll be fun to talk about it. It'll be a new one for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> and right next to Brian, over there, is our chief technology officer. That's Jeffy Brandon. Jeffy, welcome, and tell us what's on Jeffy's jukebox tonight. Uh, thanks for the welcome. And on tonight's <laughs> Jeffy's jukebox, it's worst album covers for great albums. 
Oh, oh yeah. that's going to be good. Because I always like visual questions on a podcast. Yes. Yeah. People yeah. at home do. You yeah. do research. Yeah. Uh, people... Yeah, you'll you'll be able to, you know, exercise your describing skills. That's yeah, right. it's like when FDR used to read the comics over the radio to the, <laughs> the kids. Fu- the fireside chats. <laughs> <laughs> you, you listened to that in high school, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> the fuck up. I was like, <laughs> I was this close to going there. Right, we're like the Ryan same fucking age. All right, so here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Um, <laughs> that other laugh that you hear, you might hear a fifth person, and what? we are so what? excited about huh. this. We have a special guest tonight. Uh, we had to bump him last week, but he's here now. He is, well, he's a musician. You might know his band Fireball Ministry, which is fantastic. Um, you might know him as the producer, because he's also a producer of movies and TV stuff. Uh, you might know him for that amazing uh, Foo Fighters series Sonic Highways that visited all those different studios around uh, the United States. That show is fantastic. And most recently, producer of the Foo Fighters movie Studio 666, not to be confused with Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which is <laughs> infinitely more evil. Let's welcome Jim Rhoda. All right. Jim, welcome, welcome Jim. Jim. Brian, I'm so glad you talked me into this. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, so glad you could be I here. I don't, you know, Brian. It's not like I don't get to hang around and and uh, you know awkwardly talk to a bunch of school dads every day already. <laughs> wow, I guess dads. I guess school we have dads. to now bring this into my house. Uh, <laughs> oh. See, that's Brian, what happens oh. when you bump me. I don't know what to tell you. Well, we, oh. did, we bumped you for oh. very good reason. Yeah. I mean, obviously, what, uh, what was the reason? Yeah, the reason? yeah. I mean, I I definitely had some last minute plans that came up at the last minute. Yeah. To- oh, yeah, that's what, I mean, not- I, I knew what we bumped him for. What did we bump him for? I don't fucking remember what we bumped him for. It was Jim. like a week ago. I don't remember what I had for lunch. Jim, you're not angry at us, are you? I mean. No, you know, bygones be bygones. I, You know, like, I think music is the ultimate pacifier, so. All right. All right, well, let's oh, okay. put our passies in. And, and Jim, we're, we, we, we are sorry that we bumped you. It is really yeah. great to have no you No big deal. I'm totally are you sorry kidding. enough? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, we've managed to piss off basically all our guests that we've had so far. <laughs> so good, but I'm sure that's we, not a comic trope that will continue. Called, we've never been called school dads, which I've never heard before. It's I'm, not I'm a thing. into this. It's, it's, not it's a thing. now a thing. School dads. School dads. School dads. What's up, school dad? It's a movie. Wasn't school dad. it a movie? Do you, with do you guys have play? kids? I mean, do you have children that go to school? <laughs> um, <laughs> Technically, yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's like you know, you it's you know, you have to like be around dads, like. No, it's true. Unfortunately, we do have to be around other dads. Yeah, we, we do. Kids I don't talk. I don't talk about the stock market and sports and shit. So I'm just a. <laughs> I'm a fucking mess at that shit. Why, why are you I talking actually about just NFTs? came from my kid's like open house, or and I was I was standing there, and my poor wife, who's like great at being, you know, everything. Uh, I don't know. She just fucking she can do it, and I stand there like, please, I'm dying, I'm rotting from the inside. Just let me get out of this uncomfortable space. So you're a school dad too. Yeah, you're a school dad. Oh, that's what I'm saying. But I have been there. Yeah, it's more of a curse. Yeah, we we didn't know you were a school dad because um, you have guitars hanging on your wall rather than children. Oh yeah, no no no, I only have one. I'm not crazy. <laughs> you mean one one, one child one kid, guitars. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. multiple guitars. Yeah, there's yes. a lot of guitars. Tell uh, us about Fireball Ministry, Jim. Well, I, I was listening to you this week. It, it's it's fantastic. It's hard edged. I, I love really it. nice to, for you to say. We, you know, my friend Emily and I started the band when 
I don't know, in like 1998 or 97, and we moved out to LA together, and we, you know, we just had this love for the same music. Our band has never been, you know, anything but, ha you know, four people having fun together, and we've had a lot of it and gotten to do a lot of great things because of it. <coughs> I met, you know, the best people. I don't know, is that what you're asking me? I tend to get more philosophical yeah. than boring. No, 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 <laughs> but, but your manager wants to say something. Please. Yeah, tell why don't you share some of the bands that you've had the opportunity to grace the stage with? Oh, see, listen, I can easily interview somebody, but I am terrible at being interviewed. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> you know, you're being a little too self-conscious at it. You're not terrible. You, but you know, well, I, I'd put you average. straight down the middle, and I think yeah. you could bring it up from there. Yeah. All right, average. Brian Frank <laughs> has to. Brian Frank has been bringing it out of me for like 20 years, so he might have to do that tonight. So an answer his question. Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, we like you know we we're a really lucky band because our band just so happens to sound like all the bands that we loved growing up. So we've gotten to play with you know Dio and we played with Motorhead and we you know we oh, we wow. played with like all those kind of bands. But like you know like our band was it basically sounded like it was. I don't know, maybe 20 years too late at the time. Like, I remember right. right when we were getting our thing was really starting to come together, then Limp Biscuit like, happened. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody really, like, cared about our band's kind of music anymore, really. So, you know. But, but that must have changed now over the years. There seems to be a resurgence of that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, but now I'm 100. Not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're a school dad. Yeah. yeah. Now I have now heart you're... disease and I'm a school dad. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, help me. <laughs> heart disease is managed, though. Mm -hmm. so uh, it's all good. I'm just saying, I'm, I, you know. No, no joke. I went to the doctor last week and. Like we started to have that weird, like dancing around hip replacement surgery talk. Oh, <laughs> oh I, my God! I, and I, I said you, you gotta be careful even when dancing around yeah. that. But I, <laughs> I, I thought you said you didn't have subjects to talk to other dads about. But definitely heart now disease you're and hip replacement. Yeah. Is That's kind really of sad. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what age we are technically? Shh, don't say anything. Oh Jesus Christ! Hey, um, <laughs> that hip stuff does that come from your strutting and posing around the stage? Like a you maniac? Know, Brian Frank and I have had many discussions on this topic, but if you <laughs> want to know somebody who is truly dedicated to us, I know a gentleman who gave us three hips. <laughs> what? He gave Most us people he had three hips put in for us. <laughs> a New Yorker uh, name a New York so yeah, Brian, please watch this. Watch this psychic connection. He donated a gentleman hips from Queens, New York, right. named Stanley Burt Eisen. Exactly. Donated hips? No. Paul Stanley. Oh, oh. he's had three. Oh, three oh, on the list. Yeah, in right. the name because, of rock and roll. Yeah, no, three. I mean, Eddie, Van, Eddie Van Halen, Prince, yeah. they got new hips. Nikki yeah. Six, it's, it's, uh, every yeah, doll. Yeah, yeah, they had to do. Yeah, but, but Paul Stanley, that's 100% the shoes, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jumping right. in well, them? Yeah. It's, it's strutting? It's, it's and, carrying the chest hair. Is what, it's what throws off the hip balance. Is what yeah. It does. Yeah. The strut right. hip balance. You mean the strutter, uh, when he's being a strutter. There you go. Moving on, Jim, I don't want to make you choose a favorite child because you you only have one, but I do want you to choose a favorite studio from your Sonic Highways because you visited so many cities yeah. and, and went to the greatest studios. Which one stood out to you as like this is just where I would record all the time if I could? Hmm. I mean, 
I'm biased because I grew up in New Jersey and, you know. Oh, what exit? Uh, 25A off of Route oh. 15. Oh, so it's a little way south. Up, up, way up north. Oh, I'm wrong. <laughs> Where are you from? You, 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 you had like Inglewood? You had a 50% chance of getting that right, yeah. and you got it wrong. I'm from Long Island. I'm not from Jersey. <laughs> I know to say what exit, but I don't know this. <laughs> You're like, I didn't think you'd actually name the exit. Uh, I, just, I didn't I think expect small him talk. to respond. Well, no, it's a real thing. I mean, <laughs> It is, yeah. Um, no, but it's better if you know what the – when you make the call, it's better to know I never response. drove the van when we were um, performing in public schools. <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> no I, I think, I, you know, that's a, okay, so that's you a really... Okay, grew up in Jersey. I mean, the most beautiful studio was, the, was Zach Brown's in Nashville. I mean, it was just like... That studio was the kind of studio that if, you're, if you've been in a band and, and you've gotten to record and, and you've gotten to tour and do all that stuff, it's like that studio was like, oh, this is where you go to record when you make a lot of money. <laughs> that band, that band sounds immaculate. Too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, every album. Yeah, I mean that place had so much history in it, like because it was the United Records studio. So like Roy Orbison recorded songs in there, and like you know Tony Joe White, and like you know all these crazy artists like just did their labels albums that you know how because it used to be like the label would have an album like warner Brothers or a studio like warner mm -hmm. brothers had the studio in the bottom and capital has a studio you know well that's how united was and that was their place so all those records were recorded there and it was just bitching and they had a chef oh, oh wow. wow at zach brown's Sounds place good. yep wow you know jeffy and i have met zach brown a few times we should in Insult him and then invite him on the show. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, well, definitely. insult him, invite him, bump him, then invite him back. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> All right, and one more thing, I want to. I have to talk about Studio Six Six Six. Now, you're the producer of that um, mm -hmm. of that Foo Fighters slasher film that was uh, um, filmed last year. What was that experience like? You shot it in Encino at an old mansion, right? Yeah, or, yeah. We, you know. It, it's basically like that, you know, the best part of the of, of working with those guys is, you know, somebody has a crazy idea and then they we do it. It's like that's <laughs> the fun. That's the most fun thing. Right. Like, you know, that's the cool thing about that entire group of people is that everybody's really they're actually all friends. You know, everybody likes being around each other. And that movie was even though we got shot down or, you know, we shut down. We had to shut down production a week before. We were done <laughs> rapping principle. Oh, really? Yeah. They shut us down oh. with one week left and we all had to come back and you know, everybody was like actually relieved and happy to come back and see. It was like, the weirdest experience making a movie in the middle of a pandemic. I've been like, you know, working in movies for 20 years and I obviously there's nothing like that has ever happened. Yeah. And yeah, yeah that's crazy. It'll be like a special movie. You know, like forever and ever. So it was just it, so goddamn. It is. Much fun. I've watched it. It is a slasher film laced with heavy metal, like you might think. It's super <laughs> and devilry. You, you'll love it if you haven't seen it, Kevin. Yeah, it's really I, I've fun. I've not seen it, and I'm ashamed because it's literally the three things I I like yeah. most. It's yeah. devil worship, heavy metal, and horror together. Yeah. You will love it. It's the primordial ooze. Of it's which got I some, came out of yes. It's got some great cameos from like Whitney Cummings and uh, 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 Will Forte's in it. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 a, it's a blast. Well, that's and just it must so, have been a blast cool. to make it. You know, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. The other day, no. I, I was at Imperial Guitars in Sherman Oaks, and I walked in, and I, and Jeff Garland, who's a big guitar collector, was there. He's in the movie too, 
And yep. it, it was just funny because Jeff, you know, Jeff said to me, he was like, I don't, you know, he's like, I like to pick things I like to do. And he goes, I, he goes, I wanted to do that movie. He's like, it's crazy how much I wanted to do it just because of the, the <laughs> overall vibe. Like it was so fun. Uh, yeah, it, 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 the fact that it's a fun vibe comes across on the screen. It's cool, out, right out to the viewer through all the blood and murder and stuff <laughs> and, and, and music. And just just so everybody knows, um, the band recorded um, an album ba- disguising themselves as the '80s band that died, the fake '80s band that died at the beginning of well, the movie. 90s, Actually, yeah. as the '90s, yeah, 90s. Yeah. as the manager, I have to say <laughs> it was not the band that recorded it. It was actually Mr. Jim Rota <laughs> and Mr. Dave Grohl, <laughs> yeah. who are that band. Yeah. Oh, really? Because yeah. on, on the on the on the record, it's credited to Foo Fighters. Yeah, uh-huh. Jim, why don't you uh, listen? Tell us about what, those songs. Yeah, this is the lore. Like, this is the lore of of. Of, of the whole experience, right? Dave, we were at, 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 we were at the Rainbow um, on the patio with one of Dave's managers, Kristen, and my partner, John, and Dave, myself, and the, one of the guys from the distributor who had just bought the movie. And, you know, we're sitting there, and because Dave is so, like, I don't know, just, he's like Tigger. You know, he has the same energy <laughs> as Tigger. Like, I totally get that. Yeah, and it's like, He's just like, and he was the first to admit too. He's like, blah blah blah, and then we'll do this, and then we'll do that, and then we're gonna do this, and then we're gonna do that. And you know what? I'll record a whole album as the as the band as Dream Widow from the movie, and blah blah blah. And then and then like the whirlwind stops, and all of a sudden he's committed to re- recording, writing like ten songs and recording an album. <laughs> That's fantastic. In like two weeks. So for our listeners, give them the title of the album. Uh, it's just Dream Widow is the is the name of the like <laughs> band and that's the name of the that's the name of the album yeah. titled it's eponymous it's eponymous. terrific hey um now that we've insulted you Jim well wait and now then, don't you want to talk here about my involvement in the record I mean geez Brian no no no, no, no. Dave Grohl was on it Dave Grohl was on it <laughs> no uh, <laughs> no uh, tell us about your involvement <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. Uh, we no, we, it's, again, it was like this thing where he, of course, it was like a week before he kept, he started writing songs. The next week, he basically had all these songs. And, you know, the, the fun part about working with him is that I've never, you know, recorded with another musician that, like, is literally hearing every part in his head. So he can right. sit down and play every instrument and just layer it one on top of the other. And then I just kind of get there, stand there with a guitar and be like, and he'll, you know, like we just collaborated that way and it was so super fun. It was like when you're in high school and you start a yeah. band with your friends and it's, right. there's no, we weren't making that record for any other reason than to just have fun. And it was so goddamn fun. So that record is, <laughs> I don't know, it's totally not what anybody would expect (laughs) (laughs) everybody check out dream widow Um, anyway sorry well you know now that we're friends again jim yeah can can i ask you we're gonna take we're gonna uh pay some bills but will you stick around for jeffy's jukebox we're gonna talk album covers i would love to do bad album covers for great records i love it i'll start thinking all right all right this dad band land we'll be right back dbl DBL, we are back. We are back. We definitely haven't spent the last 10 minutes ch- uh, well, chatting about guitars no, and metal production. No, why would we no do, that? Why we would do that? that? Who would do that? We've got our, ge- uh, we got our guest, Jim Rhoda, here. Hi. Um, 
and we are about to enter the honky tonk in which at the corner <laughs> what? What? Got off is the rails. Jeffy's jukebox. Yes. <laughs> Finally, we have arrived at Jeffy's Jukebox. Someday there'll be a theme. I know it. I just know it. <laughs> Tell us what's, I know what's it in playing my heart. today on the Jukebox. Uh, tonight, it's Worst Album Covers for Great Albums. And oh, I'm not yeah. going to start this week because I've been scooping people. Oh, yes. Mm. Oh, well, I think we're all going to scoop each other. I want to lay down some groundwork here. All right. Yeah, and yeah. say, let's all... Remember to forgive each other for our opinions, because the thing about <laughs> the thing about great albums is that we associate our, you know them with sitting down, po- possibly on our floor, staring at that album cover while yeah. while, while we listen to great music. Yeah. So somebody's going to throw out an album cover, and everybody else is going to go like, "No, it's, it's, but, it's so good." But I will say, I, I do find it fascinating that there are certain albums that that, that either musically or culturally became so important, and then if I if I came from you the look outside and looked album. at it, and I thought. Holy shit! Like, who would have bought this? This cover is terrible. Like, like if yeah. this wasn't the most important album of a generation, yeah. no one would have bought this There's album. Some really well, good albums. Why don't you throw "Body on the Fire" first? Then, yeah, you. that's a oh. great intro. Get some. Yeah. Good <laughs> Honestly, I, uh, I, my first obvious one is Nevermind. I feel like Nevermind is not the album cover for for how important mm. that album mm-hmm. is. And oh, I'm, that, I'm, that hurts. Me. And I'm good with. <laughs> You just said not no, to know, judge people. No, I'm not judging you. Um, I, I think pain. it's, a, it's a vital. It is a vital album cover, and I love it. But if you had told me, here's the album cover: it's a baby swimming, and then there's this superimposed dollar bill with a hook, I'd be like, this is the joke album cover. This isn't the real album cover. Right? I this fully agree be. with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that, that's a good one. I feel like yeah. we just we just have taken it for granted. I mean, that that's unassailable. Album. What you're saying, it's unassailable. That's correct. That's correct. Wow, Kevin, good choice. You know what? As long as we, I think we were all gonna bring two right away. So why don't you yeah, throw out a second one? Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a second one from the from literally the same month. If you guys are ready for this one, wow, okay, yes, bring it. This I think as a society we need to talk about the cover of Pearl Jam Ten. Oh, because yeah. because <laughs> oh no, you, know, you haven't society. seen. I know that's. I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> you Sorry. haven't seen Studio Six Six Six. Oh, is but that, just so no, that I everybody haven't. knows, just as a as a goof, when the band wants to seal the deal with something, they do a Pearl Jam high five. Oh, that and the is whole hilarious. band does the cover. Of I 10. had no idea oh, because because most yeah because it. we I made think, a movie for you and you ignored it. And I know. <laughs> and that's why there's no made sequel. Me. I'm living in a simulation. It, right, uh, talk, talk to us about why 10 Well, because, because 10, I think most people have, have it on CD. Let's do one, and yes. if you have it on CD, yes, we're reaching high for success. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you had it on CD, you didn't realize what the cover was mm-hmm. because you just saw the hands mm-hmm. and, the, and the name. Oh, that's right. And, and so, go, yeah, so go, go dig yeah. out your CD and unfold it. And they look like a horribly cheesy, like, New York experimental dance troupe with like this pink, oh. this hot pink Maybe Miami ex- Vice back backlight experimental theater, and then they're reaching up for the stars. <laughs> they're reaching up together for success together, and this is the this is the this is the lead into grunge. Like this is supposed to take us wow. into you, and you just napalm the two corners. Honestly, two of the, two of the like four cornerstone bands of grunge. The success of both those records are not because of the cover. Like the success of both. I those would records. agree with that. Well, and it's a good point because it's the CD era. Yes. So so mm-hmm. how much does the album cover influence the purchasing behavior as opposed to in the 70s or whatever, you're going through a record store, you're flipping through oh, records. Oh, she's saying it mattered less? Yeah, I think well, so. Well, there's still a long box era. That, the long box yeah. went on for 
for another mm, for another uh, half year after the, two more years. After yeah, that. but I don't know that people in the '90s were necessarily going to a record store, yeah. just flipping That's through true. stuff and That's making true. a de- purchase decision based on the artwork on the cover. No, no, I was yeah. buying through Amazon uh, through a Time Portal. Oh wow! Yes, yeah. yeah. but it's I impressive. do think most people sense. never looked at the cover of, of Pearl Jam Ten. They yeah. popped in the CD. They yeah. just saw the name, saw a couple so, of hands, well, I, never realized it, what's it's funny preposterous. about that record. Not to go <laughs> a little off topic, but when they did the remix of that record like a couple of years ago, where they took off all the eighty stuff that we were just talking about, like they took yeah. all the Evan Tide Ultra Harmonizers <laughs> off of it, like right. <laughs> then <laughs> all they did was make the cover the same cover, but like tan. Yeah, 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 so it's more grungy, right? It's just, it's less Miami Vice. We're taking Vice. the pink out. Less 80s, they, 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 they yeah. 80s sizes. They, they de-pasteled it. To pretend that was how it always was. They performed yeah. an 80s yeah. ectomy. Yeah, they um, totally hey, did. Hey, Jim, as long as you have the floor, you, did, did you bring something for the group today? An app, did you bring enough for to share album? with everyone? Yeah, no, I just, you know... I, can I just say, I don't understand why it was the choice. That's it all. Okay. okay. And yes. I know it's not like it, it's almost illegal coming out of my mouth, but. Oh boy. So the first Led Zeppelin album cover is so powerful. It is so right. amazing. Right. And it fully. I know where this is going. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that yeah, so much after Zeppelin 1. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. weirdest yeah. album to music like connection ever. Right, right. Hard agree. And you know what? I I feel like Led Zeppelin might even uh, deserve a Lifetime Achievement Award. They had a couple of good covers, but but two wasn't their only miss. Yeah, yeah. that's well, mostly bad covers. Yeah, they, wow. they, mostly bad. Two, looking back, the most, and then they're even like they get deeper, deeperly bad. I mean, if you start digging into the actual set of physical graffiti, you start seeing what's in the windows, and you're like, this is getting weird. I don't even yeah. think you have to go that far, because <laughs> Led Zeppelin three is on my list. Oh, oh, and, and, and here, and Kevin, I want you to read my note here. What did I write here? Oh, Lifetime Achievement Award by Led Zeppelin. And my, my comment was no unity, no excitement. And you didn't even mention Presence, which is the most yeah. like outrageous. Well, that like, album but, is just like, it, it's <laughs> that, that album looks like it was like made by a campaign from some lame to- record to- company. <laughs> like, <laughs> like marketing it's the ca- team. It's the, Sorry. It's the, uh, Absolutely. It sounds like it's from- recorded in three days, and yeah. it looks like a marketing team who never heard Led Zeppelin put that. But <laughs> <laughs> so what's crazy is Led Zeppelin actually made those obelisks. Wow. They physically yeah. manufactured them and gave them to people in the band and in the crew. Oh, and no, my friend's one. dad, of course you do. my <laughs> former colleague's dad and friend, uh, was their tour accountant, and he still has his presence obelisk with his name on Gnarly. Wow. Well, I, gotta have a, I have a Led Zeppelin question in, in relation to that, because I was too young to buy Into the Outdoor on vinyl, so I didn't know there were like four covers, and yeah. you didn't know which one you were going to get when you bought it. Paper was bag, that a th- yeah. Was that a right. thing? You just bought yeah. a paper bag, and you're like, yeah. shit, I got the same cover. <laughs> I got the shitty one. Like it, like, it was like when the Beastie Boys did Paul's Boutique and the cassettes were different color. Remember there was red? Yeah. What color was green. yours? Yeah. My, I had the marble one, and some dickhead Ooh. in my high school <laughs> named Jamie Foxx, like, borrowed the tape. Not the, the Jamie, Jamie Foxx. Yes. The other Jamie Foxx. Jamie yeah, Fox. Never yes. fucking got it back. And it was the oh, marble oh, one. I was so stoked so cool. when I got that. Anyways. Yeah, I only had the red. Brian, let's throw oh, to you. That, that, Jim, that was excellent. Let's throw to you, Brian. What do you got? Great call. So I've got some classics, but I want to open with one that is a story. All right. So, um, 
as you guys know, I post a record on my Instagram every day. That's historically relevant. And recently, it was the anniversary of Bad Religion Generator. Hmm. And I posted that record, which is a great record. I love the record. And I put, you know, I put my little comments and I put, this is on my list of great albums with terrible album covers. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Right? As I do. Yeah. So, uh, Brett Gerwitz, the founder of Epitaph Records, which Uh is the label on which Bad Religion releases Mm -hmm. their music. Mm Uh, as well as the guitar player from Bad Religion. <laughs> well, yeah, owned who, by uh, him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who is a, a friend of mine and a colleague, do some work with him, uh, DM'd me and said, Brian, I was going to <laughs> repost your post today oh, no. to celebrate the 30th anniversary Uh-oh. of Generator, but when I saw your comment, I should, I'm not going to read the actual DM, but when I saw your comment, <laughs> I decided not to do it. Oh. And we went back and forth, and we were messaging back and forth, and then he said, look, I, I recognize that you know, art is subjective. So, you know, I, I will, I'll give you that pass. And I said, yeah, well, mm-hmm. another album on my list is <laughs> Bad Religion well, Against well, the... Well, I'm offending you. Let me pile on. you're feeling pain, uh, I want you to feel yeah, all of it yeah. now. Uh, so you can start to get Bad Religion Against it. the Grain is, uh, is also oh, high on my list. But like, oh, sorry, buddy, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, all right. You're almost, you're almost Led Zeppelin. Yeah, and uh, and his, <laughs> his response was that he could understand that one more. <laughs> That's really funny. Hey, um, give, give us one more. Pull uh, one out. Yeah, yeah. I love that story. So this one is important to me personally, and you guys not so much. Uh, <laughs> All right. Beach Boys Pet Sounds. The, the, on my list. I thought about putting that one on What there. a piece of trash. It, it, it is the worst. It is, I don't even need it's to like, explain it. It's like, that a petting it's, zoo? It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the worst. I think it actually, prohi- like, people who want to take pet sounds seriously, and there are a lot of those people. Yeah. But that that single handedly just prohibits it's you. It's one of the reasons you can't take it's it. It's one seriously. of the reasons. Yeah. It's because I can't get that cover out of my head. I'm like, yeah, I know yeah. this is magical, but whatever. Look at them. They're feeding. They're feeding. They got. <laughs> they're they feeding put, a sheep. They put like yep. a quarter into the machine and they <laughs> got the sheep. Yeah. I can't take it seriously. Yeah, their no, hands it's, are it's coated terrible. with honey and granola. And it is, of course, it is, <laughs> the fact that it's considered a classic that is probably the best example of the highest classic with worst cover ratio yeah. that I can. Yeah. Think. I think you're probably right. Yeah. And it, and it goes to that was an era in which. Uh, bands had less control, actually, of the cover right. art, and the label had a lot more control, and that's why things like that happen, like the Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour. What are you saying about that? That looks pretty awesome to me. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think the, the art fuck? director was Mr. Magoo. <laughs> On my list it was a Beatles album, but it wasn't yeah. that one. Okay. Um, uh, all right, who's next? Should I go next, Jeffy? Well, I did one. All right. I, I did throw out the Led Zeppelin three. Uh, my next one is a little bit more modest, unless you you want to. No, go ahead. Go ahead. My, but it's you know, it's not the quality to badness ratio isn't quite as <laughs> right. Right. But there was an album in the '80s that spawned a number of very big hits, and the title sort of implied a fast movement. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the cover is the artist sitting in a chair. Ah, yep. Um, with uh, you know, uh, just sitting in a chair. It's Lionel Richie. Uh, mm-hmm. can't. can't slow down. Yeah. Oh yes, because that's great. Because on the cover, he clearly can slow down. He's clearly, clearly. He has slowed down. Yes, he has slowed down. He's at rest. 
yes. There's no inertia. His tray in table is upright and his chair is in the... It should have been called Lionel Richie in, in repose. Lionel, Lionel Richie was in, is in Studio 666, too. He has a great cameo oh, in it. Man. You know, at this, at this point, you can tell me anything's in now it, and I have just, to believe you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he was, not to, again, sidetrack everything, but he... Um, he came back after pandemic. He was he came back, you know, like during the the whole thing, which was really really nice. And everybody, it was it's just funny, you know. You like get, and Brian will know this too. It's like you get to work with all these people, and and you know that you've like read about and you know whatever your whole life, and then you get to work with them as this like stupid idiot kid from New Jersey, and you're just like, <laughs> holy shit, fucking Lionel Richie is cool. Like, man, is that guy fucking cool? Like. Just not a dick. Like, right. Did he was, you, did, he's really funny in that cameo, you, too. Did you mention yeah. the Cancel Down album cover, though? Did you keep that to yourself, or did you bring yeah. it up? I will did say you? this. I yep. will say the outfit, because it was going to be a, uh, like a time... I don't want to give you the joke, but anyway. It's like no. a throwback joke kind of thing in the thing, mm -hmm. so it's like mm -hmm. the, the costume... You know, Costume wanted to put him in that exact outfit from the album cover. <gasps> yes. But he, but the management told us that Lionel doesn't do that. <laughs> there's, you know, what? there's no anyway. looking, there's no looking backwards for Lionel Richie. No, because he's sitting down, he's hurt his neck. Or, or, or which, which, I, which down, I totally right. fucking respect, because the guy did reinvent himself, like on the voice yeah, and yeah. stuff. So you're just like, yeah. He's fucking pulled off something that like no one else in, of his gen, like time it, right. could very really, rare. And you were trying really, to put him back in the suit. I know exactly. <laughs> hey yeah. asshole, why don't you fight Junior? Have <laughs> it a really seat. must be said that Lionel Richie can't slow down. Yes. He can't. He, um, let's not slow down. Let's go forward. I have one that I, that I thought somebody else was going to bring. Uh -oh. um, I, there, I have many more on my list. Yeah, well, yeah but we were all going to bring two. So um, <laughs> <laughs> um we have um, Paul Simon's Graceland. Oh, yeah. I think that might be the biggest. I think I think the reason that that escapes is because people don't know what that people just picture like a cubist type thing in the middle of a beige field. But um, Graceland is a fantastic album. That cover depicts what looks like a knight or crusader, um, which is really a mismatch for an album where Paul Simon wanted to introduce America to a lot of world beat and African music. Mm -hmm. That's so funny you mentioned that, because I, I literally have that album out in the living room. We were listening to it on, on vinyl, and I, I stare at it. I can't see the cover. I just assume the cover is some vague thing that I've never thought about. It's not a vague thing. I've never I can, really I can thought actually about tell it. you what yeah. it is. It's, um, it is from uh, the Ethiopian. It's an artifact from the Ethiopian Christian church, which is one of the earliest Christian churches ever. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a depiction of of their patron saint Saint George. So it's really it's really Crusader flavored, and it's and it's and and by the way, he went for an Ethiopian thing, and you know he he's a little vague about Africa on that album. Yeah. <laughs> Ethiopia is not yeah. close to Soweto where he got all the sounds that he wanted that's, for that album. That's true. So there's a lot to be embarrassed about. I but think. But you know what that album, that album sounds like that cover. Looks, do you know what I mean? Like I totally understand they, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because you, you stared at it while listening to that I album. I know. Yeah, just, exactly. Just, just like I, I look at him, like that, I can gather. I, I know what that album sounds. I'd like. say that, that more one's about accidental, the right? Yeah. Sorry. It's, right. That's like right. an accidental one, which is totally bizarre to think about. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> How did that work? And, and yes. here, here's one. I'm just going to stay in Africa here, and this is one of my favorite albums of all time. And I know you all are going to disagree with me on this one. But I can't stand the cover of Herbie Hancock's Headhunters. Oh, no, um, I understand. 
You see, it's the, it, it's the band. It's colored really cool. Yeah. But instead of Herbie Hancock's face, the artist has put in something that is supposed to be a kind of a mix between an African mask and a and a tape demagnetizer. Yeah, and like and, the, and, think, the, <laughs> and like the sun, like essence of the sun. I, I don't. Yeah, I, don't and I, I just think it looks awful, and it is it is the uh, yeah. jazz fusion album. It is it's it's. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's archetypal. I listen to it all the time. Yes. And I can't stand that cover. I, I, it doesn't bother me so much because to me, at least when I was young and I first discovered that album, like he almost looks like a spaceman and the music is yeah, so okay. out there and spacey yeah. that to me, that's, that's what it is in my mind. As you describe it, though, for you conceptually. I'm with you. <laughs> but, but, but I'm with you, Brian, exactly. in the sense of if someone looks like a spaceman, yeah. you're in. You're just that's like, it. you know yeah, what? I'm I get I'm like, that one. Ace I'm Fraley. Like, like, it's a spaceman. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Ace Fraley, yeah, I'm yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A duh. Exactly. It doesn't matter. I'm in. Speaking of spacemen. Yes. Uh-oh. Yeah. Ziggy Stardust. Oh, yeah, oh, we're oh, going to get to Ziggy oh, Stardust yeah, at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we have more Ace Frehley talk? I mean, I, I, I think we, we all have comment? a great That's a great album talk cover. That, what know, are you what? talking about? We, we all have a, a bunch more, cover. but we're going to be throwing a commercial in a second. Um, but before I do, I just want to say, Jim Rhoda, thank you so much for coming yeah, down. Thank I hope you. you'll come back on the show sometime. Anytime was, you want. Ask Brian. Maybe come visit Yeah, we great. We would love to bump you again. Yeah, yeah. Well, now it's just a thing. <laughs> All right, and speaking of things that you can buy, here's some from our sponsors. DBL will be right back. DBL! Dad Band Land is back, everybody. DBL in the house. And boy, uh, Jim Rota, Brian Frank, thank you for bringing that man to our show. I'm so glad he was able to join us this week. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He, well, you know, he, was, well, he had the time. We were busy. <laughs> yeah. And after blowing us off the previous week, it was nice of us oh, to have man. him back. You know what? Yeah. yeah. I'm into this. Thing. So um, I, we didn't do this up top because I didn't want to confuse Jim, but um, it's time to get some inspiration from the Brian Eno Peter Schmidt oblique strategies deck that Jeffy gave us all last week. Let's just pull one out. Let's see where this gets see, this. I'll just, I'll just cut the deck right here. Make an exhaustive list of everything you might do and do the last thing on the list. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's every day of my goddamn life. Oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Although that mm. advice works better if you read it after you make the exhaustive list. It should be. Yeah. yeah. Make an exhaustive list of everything you want to do and then, then turn this card over. Flip over, over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> flip yeah. over the card. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, the point I'm at in my life. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, uh, how do you know when you're exhausted <laughs> on your list? Like, how do you how do know you... when you're ready to flip that card? Yeah. What if the last thing on your list is do everything on this list? <laughs> oh <my God>. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. a shitty list. <laughs> already... But you know what's not shitty? That house down the street. It's a little creepy. We're going to walk into it. Are we? Yes, we are, everybody. Just just gird your loins. Clench your bladder. <laughs> Our loins? <laughs> We're headed what goes into it. What goes on in this house? The, pump the bellows. We're headed pump into the bellows. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are in Brian's House of Wax. Brian, Frank, you brought us a friend today, and now you brought us an album. Tell us all about this week's platter that matters. Yes, so this week we we're talking about David Bowie's fifth album, which is The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, 
which uh, I think we can just call Ziggy Stardust, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it was originally released on June 16th, 1972, which would make it uh, 50 years old around the time of this recording. And um, what I listened to was the most recent 180 gram remaster reissue from, I think, 2016? 2015. 15, 16, yeah. right? Um, it was right before he died, actually. It's, it's important to point out, too, that Kevin brought his copy which is the limited edition from what was that like 91 91 yeah from from would have been the the 20 20th anniversary it was coming up at that time this yeah i mean before we get i probably have more copies of this album than any other album (laughs) there's so many anniversaries and i didn't know that the version that um that kevin brought even existed so this was mind-blowing to me to to see it uh and it's it's really cool so anyway so let's talk about this amazing amazing album although i will say uh similar to one of our topics uh the other week this isn't my go-to david bowie album interesting very interesting Uh, my go-to david bowie album is hunky dory which was released seven months prior to ziggy stardust but they're almost like uh sister albums yeah um, it was the same producer, Ken Scott, and the same band, Mick Ronson on electric guitar and Trevor Boulder on bass guitar and Mick Woodmansey on drums. That is a British name if I've ever heard one. Um, minus Rick Wakeman, who uh, did play on Hunky Dory. Uh, and when he was asked by David Bowie to join the Spider Samaras, he decided to join Yes instead. A mistake. Um, but, <laughs> but fun fact here for the wax facts, he does play wax harp. Facts. He does play harpsichord on "It Ain't Easy" on this album, oh, although right, uncredited. Right. That is that a is, wax fact. That is him on the harpsichord, <laughs> as he is wont to do. Um, so, um, the sessions for recording this album started on November eighth, nineteen seventy one. Which, if you follow the chronology that I was just mentioning, was a month prior to the release of Hunky Dory. So think about that. A month before the previous album came out, he was already in the studio recording the next album, which is fascinating. Um, They recorded for three days uh, in November, took a break for the holidays, came back in January, finished um, on February 4th. So not many sessions. Uh, The majority of the vocals were done on the very first take which is really amazing when you go back and listen to the performances. It's David Bowie in his head clearly knew what he was trying to achieve. And it, it's been said that the process was basically they just recorded a song, then listened to it, decided if they liked it or not. If they liked it, that was the take. And if they didn't, they just went back and recorded the song again. So, wow. I mean, that's such an efficient process. And again, when you go back and listen to this thing and realize it's just these guys jamming these things out live, it's it's stunning. Um, so uh, a couple more wax facts. Wax facts. Wax facts. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Yeah. Thank you for that sting. Um, well, Showtime so, after dark. After yeah. <laughs> 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 So, uh, uh, Starman, the first single, uh, was released on April 28th, 1972, did not set the world on fire. Um, then, uh, the band actually did a TV appearance on a kid's show on June 15th, the day before the album was released. (laughs) That'll do it. Uh, still not much happened, but uh, a couple weeks later on July 1st, the single hit number 41. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, happy Happy birthday. birthday. Yeah. Um, hit number 41. 
And that prompted an invitation to appear on Top of the Pops, which they recorded on the 5th of July and aired on television on the 6th of July. And that appearance with that moment, uh, and I recommend to anyone listening to check this out on YouTube. I don't know. I I watched it again when I was doing the research just to try to feel the impact. David Bowie putting his arm around Mick Ronson, which was a big deal at the time. This performance pushed the single to number 10. And... I would say, and I don't know if Bono said this this way, but I know Bono has talked a lot about seeing this appearance. It's almost like what a decade before the Beatles appearing on the Ed Sullivan show was to this younger generation, seeing David Bowie. And when you watch it again, he's not in full Ziggy Stardust garb yet. He doesn't have that whole look yet. He doesn't have the whole thing down. He's almost transitioning towards the character when the album came out. Um, So the album came out had mixed reviews. It did finally hit number five in the UK uh, in February of 73. So again, that's a that's another thing yeah, that doesn't happen run. these days, a really long run. And then in April of 73, two months later, it achieved its peak in America, number 75. <laughs> that's yep. as far as this got. We were ready. Back then. But as we know, uh, it has gone on to be... Uh, you know, respected and revered for its power. And in 2017 was actually uh, entered into the National Recording Registry, the Library of Congress uh, National Recording Registry. Wax facts. There you go. So um, I I want to... Disconcertingly (laughs) sexy there, Jiffy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is awakening something in me. You're disconcerted by the sexiness of Jeffrey to this album. Yeah. Um, So uh, I want to open it up to the floor, but I I think it's also worth noting that I was saying about, you know, Bowie recording this album before Hunky Dory even came out, his sense of purpose going into the studio and recording it this way. Think about also all around this time. This reminds me a lot of Toto 4 and that these guys were so (laughs) prolific at this moment. Think about this. He uh, wrote Suffragette City. Uh, gave it to Mott the Hoople uh, to try to save them. They turned it down. So then he wrote All the Young Dudes for them and yeah. produced them, uh, recording this in May of 72, uh, and uh, produced their album. In August, he produced Lou Reed's Transformer in between doing the tour for this. And two months later, he mixed the Stooges' Raw Power. So yeah. all that happened it's, no, it is at the same time, it's stretch. staggering. Uh, every one of those albums is an all-time classic. Right? And he's all connected to that. Yeah, absolutely. It is It is a staggering amount, of, especially in England. Do you know what I mean? Like you yeah. said, it didn't come here, but in England, everyone was on top of it's that. huge. Um, and I should, I need to give a shout-out uh, to my most wonderful and favorite dog, Lady Stardust. Oh, that's oh. amazing. I have a dog named Lady Stardust. That's incredible. That's I love yeah. that song. Thank you. Now this is, as I was saying, this is an album that I, uh, I must, I mean, every ten years I buy a new copy of it. I buy it, whatever the new anniversary version of it is. I keep buying it, and this is my, this is my first Bowie album that I had. I, wow. I had some, I had some compilations, like some best ofs, and um, this is the first one I bought. 
that was a full belly album. And I'm, I can't say I'm with you in the sense that it's not my go-to. I think every album he made from, from <laughs> the man who sold the world through let's dance is a go-to just what flavor of perfection you want to have. <laughs> fair, um, fair. <laughs> but, but so to me, I mean, I, I, I could talk about this all day. I want to see what Adam who's, who's what, me? this is, this, <laughs> this is like breathing oxygen to me, to this album. So I want to ask about you. One thing I think it's, it's really clever. It is his fifth album. His first two were almost forgot. I mean, he was well, at you a point- brought some of that first album to us as a uh, hidden treasure, didn't uh, you? No, that was a single, but it was around oh. that era. Yeah, he oh, the first yeah. album the that he doesn't even talk about. Yeah, yeah, the Laughing Gnome. But I do think there's some, <laughs> there's some brilliance that has been replicated since then, but, some, but this is the first time I've seen it. The brilliance of, I'm five albums in, I have not had a hit, I'm not a rock star. I'm going to declare myself a rock star and yeah. make and perform myself as a rock star and assume my rock star character, which absolutely worked. Do you know totally. what I mean? The people yep. that were following were like, oh, that's a that's a real rock star. Yeah. But it ended up being a character he had to force to happen because he was not an actual successful musician or rock star at the time. And uh, I mean, we've seen that happen a number of times since then. You know, people come on stage declaring themselves the best. Like Chris Gaines. Like Chris Gaines. Like, Chris Gaines. Yeah. like the, the, like the yeah. legendary Chris Gaines. I was hoping Chris Gaines would come up. <laughs> yeah. How could he not? So uh, this, and again, I listen to this album constantly, and every time I listen to it, I can still discover something new, but when's the last time you've heard Have you ever listened to it, Adam? Have you I ever? I have listened to it not very closely. Um, it, um, like Brian, I prefer Hunky Dory, um, but I don't even listen to Hunky Dory that much. My relationship with Bowie is a little different than yours. Um, everybody that I grew up with when we were in middle school, I think, everybody's first album was Let's Dance. Oh, mm, so yeah. I, I kind of got there for the end of Bowie. And by the time I was in college, by the time it was the late 80s, early 90s, Bowie's fan base had shifted unbelievably. He'd been mainstream, and then Bowie's early stuff had been adopted by, weirdly enough, like metalheads and glam yeah, metal yeah, people. Yeah, because it's a tin machine. Yeah, because it's a yeah. tin machine. Which no, is so that, weird. I, I, I that's when I got into him. Isn't that weird? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah, but, no, but I didn't care thing. about present. Bowie at the time, it was only old 70s Bowie. And and that's where old 70s Bowie had gone, although Bowie's fan base, you know, back in the day before I knew about or cared about Bowie, it was a completely different kind of fan base. I mean, he was an original gay icon because of his declared bisexuality, because mm-hmm. of the way he dressed, because of the way he acted, and that was his fan base. But, but by the late 80s, early 90s, uh, all my gay friends had moved on. Especially my gay male well, friends, to, he, to he, something else. They were had, listening to different music. He had moved on, and there was a definitely he had declared a, a his, he had strange said he, phase of like super heteronormativeness for him. Oh, in he the said late that 80s. he regle- yes. regretted declaring himself a bisexual he, he, and then married a supermodel. Yeah, no, t- totally. But he went out of his way to like in the eighties to sort of. In fact, have you ever seen the film Velvet Goldmine? It is a very condemning mm. version of what that what that felt like to young you know fans in the seventies, like the betrayal that that eighties felt to him. And then eventually yeah. he sort of evened out. I think over time, but I, I think but. he absolutely did. But his fan base was like you know glam metal people, and. And so I, I had never really found my way back besides the Changes 1 album that everybody owned, um, which, 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 was, which was, a, was a messy compilation of hits. And then I started meeting all these people who were hardcore fans of early Bowie. And they were, to the last one of them, like goth-slash-alternative women who found themselves in that area kind of in the same boat that Bowie did in the early 70s. They, you know, they, they didn't like what was around them. Right. They they needed they needed an outlet in a persona that something that they could enjoy and relate to. And all of a sudden, late '80s, early '90s, I found myself listening to those albums for the first time. And then this week, listening to that again, it, it's it's amazing how that is an 
album for Outsiders. Absolutely. More than mm. anything else Bowie ever did. He's literally coming from space. He doesn't fit in in any way. The Earth is dying, and he's bringing a message of hope, but his own ego keeps getting in the way. So you, you understand. There's there's so much that's good about it, and the music is fantastic. It's almost like a love letter to the um, to the one six four five doo wop progression, and he never really gives that to you straight. Never, no. He's always giving you one yeah. six, and then uh, here here's a two. Uh, and, well, to to <laughs> you know, to your point of that of that inviting outsider bit, which I think is absolutely right. Like everybody who truly loves David Bowie always. Felt a little off, you know what I mean? Like not necessarily so off that you found your own secret culture somewhere. You know, you just felt generally off about the mainstream world, and that ending bit of uh, rock and roll suicide, when he's just like, uh, "You're not alone," you know, yeah. reach out your hand, you're wonderful. That, but that inviting bit where he's screaming, I, I can see. I mean, even for myself, it gives me chills. But, but for a whole generation, that that yeah. was the invitation of like, "Hey, I'm okay." You know, right. like this is a weird I world. I might look I'm like fine. a freak and not believe anything that I'm supposed to believe, yeah. but we're not alone. In we're that. not it's, alone. It, it was so uplifting. <laughs> that's all right. Leave it in. Oh, that is that is wonderful. So that's my feeling about it. I didn't realize. I still probably will always go towards Hunky Dory before this. And one of the reasons why is Rick Wakeman. I mean, uh, <laughs> the piano on Hunky Dory is just so tasty. All those cuts are yeah. so delicious. But there's this album is a whole, and it's a it's a story too. I guess he retroactively it's, wrote the story. I mean, yeah. I, the concept is barely a, a concept. If, yeah. if that, I mean, the concept is basically we're I'm a rock star, and here's all the rock star <laughs> shit I do. And I mean, the word star is in four of the songs, but but it, this is the rock record. Like Hunky Dory is great, but there are still some folk acoustic sort of things he's doing on that. There are definitely there's the Bob Dylan esque song he tries to do. I love Hunky Dory. This is the rock record, top to bottom, and this is also the album that sells to me what backstacking your album can be. Mm-hmm. So, so like the last four or five songs, you're just like, shit, every song is almost better than the last song. It's crazy how it ju- it's ju- there really aren't uh, a whole lot of bad songs on the top. No, I actually feel like there's two halves. The first half is perfect. Then It Ain't Easy is like your intermission. You sort of like, you sort of like calm down. You're like, all right, get ready for the second half. Flip yeah. it over. And then it's just nonstop. It's, and it all is so, it's such an album. Yeah. It's hard like and that's the thing too. It's hard to not listen to the entire album. It's hard to Agreed. just pick a song. Like, yeah, I understand Suffragette City being on the uh, compilations yeah, and stuff like single, that because right. of the tempo and all that shit. But really, I can't listen to this without listening to the whole thing. And when I listen Agreed. to the whole thing, it all—and I mean this in a positive way—it all sounds the same. It fits together so well. It really, and does. it's all a, a theme. It's all a, a mode. Like a jazz record, not right. theme like a concept album, sure. which kind of was thrown <laughs> together, but it's a mode. Jeffy, I'm curious. You're, yeah, I mean, yeah. I was about to say that they it does hang together very well, but the real standout cut for me was uh, this one. It ain't easy, which is a cover, yeah, by the way. Which is the only cover on the album. Yeah. Come on. 
That's no, fantastic. That's great. And, and to your point of guitar playing, this is, I know that, that Mick Ronson's on previous albums. This is really when he starts to shine. Like, he yeah. becomes very much present on this album. And he's one of my favorite guitar players. I mean, he's a Les Paul player as well, and he just fucking kicks ass. And Have you seen the documentary about Mick Ronson? I don't know. I haven't. Oh, you should, I should see that. It's great. Yeah. yeah. I would love that. Oh, any other impressions you want to share, Jeffy? Yeah, Jeffy. Uh, well, that was my, like... So were you a fan? That, were you, like, like were you a uh, were you aware of this record? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was how. aware of it. I never listened to it in its entirety before. Ooh, this is a, so, a gift. Uh, there were songs that I'd heard before in other contexts, but they definitely uh, fit in this whole differently. Like uh, something like Suffragette City, I'd only considered by itself as a single. And now yeah. it's like in context, part of a yeah, much yeah. bigger, more complex whole. I think to that point, and maybe to your point, you're you're making about you know classic rock people. This everyone knows the classic rock Bowie hits, which are like Suffragette City and and Rebel Rebel and whatever. But unlike when we talked about uh, Are You Experienced or something, I, I think people know this record by name, but people don't know it. Yeah, the whole record the way they should. The way right. they should know. It, I like, totally agree. One and and two. It, it's worth getting to know. And oh yeah, the sequencing is super important. There is a story that he wrote retroactively there because I, I think he did the story on stage a lot. In fact, I believe Rock and Roll Suicide. He dies on stage. Not necessarily. He does okay. perform a song called My Death in the middle of that of that tour. Okay, and he played it out of sequence. He would, he would open with um, he would open with uh, "Hang On to Yourself," which is a great that's a great to, song. Which is a great way to open a concert, if you ask me. No, there's a story esque thing, but like for instance, "It Ain't Easy" was thrown at the last second. It's yeah, a cover. "It Ain't Easy" doesn't really belong, although it musically belongs. What I'll say though is that I I love the whole concept album thing, and I do love I do love the sequencing of this, and I love the first cut. Five years, because oh, what yeah. he wants to establish before he comes down from space and becomes a rock star, <laughs> a bisexual rock star, he, and he wants to bring a message of hope and all that, like, and that stuff is scattered through all the songs that have the word "star" in it. Um, <laughs> five years is just a really sensitive song about discovering that the Earth is dying. It's becoming painfully prophetic every time. <laughs> I, I know, to it. absolutely, it gets worse and worse every time it you listen does. to Five Years, and every, it's beautiful. Every ten years, where there's an anniversary reissue, five <laughs> yeah, years, five years becomes I even keep, more. It gets closer and closer. No, but he. It, what it a context for the album. The, the Earth to, is dying, and yet mm -hmm. here's something fun you might want to do. Come but, see me on stage. And it's definitely got some um, Stranger in a Strange Land influence, like the book that he brought to this, yep. and. If I had to pick two favorites, it is Five Years and Rock and Roll Suicide. It's the bookends because oh, the, absolutely. one sets the stage and literally introduces all these characters, you know, just these people that you're watching. And, and oh, yeah. It, it, it Who ever thought you'd need that many people? Oh, I know. All the fat, skinny people. Yeah. <laughs> all the tall, short people. <laughs> all the short people. Oh, Randy Newman would be so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we're still getting cards and letters about that one. It's a wonderful world. Um, but... But to my point, I, I think maybe a lot of listeners might think they know this record, but if you haven't sat down and just focused on this one, outside of a compilation, outside of your knowledge of David Bowie, this is the place to go. Yeah, I would agree, and I would also say um, that 2015 slash 2016, depending on which one of you I'm going to believe, remaster <laughs> is really good. It's a good remaster. It so sounds This great. is a really good time to be listening to that. And this is also a really good time to be listening to these messages about our from our sponsors. <laughs> DVL will be right Yo. back with some hidden treasures.
And we're back on Dad Band Land. I'm still a little freaked out looking in all your faces around here. I, I'm adjusting. <laughs> yeah. I it's love weird. it. We're weird people. Yeah. I, am I making the the bad faces? Yeah. You're making, no, you're you making the good faces. A very strange face. I'm just not used to seeing you in color. <laughs> That's right, Jeffy. Jeffy's been choosing a black and white filter on Zoom for the last uh, a few 75 episodes. years. <laughs> the last 75 years of us recording this. All right. We're here for our, one of our favorites of our two final segments. Yes. <laughs> How many more segments are there? We're going to invent more, but people are loving, as we'll get to it, um, we're going to do Hidden Treasures right now, songs yeah. that should have gotten a lot more attention than they got, and they didn't, and we're here to change that a little bit. And by the way, listen closely, everybody, because you know how we did that special episode the special edition of DBL. Yeah, that was very special. That was Guilty Pleasures. As special you might edition. imagine, we've got a hidden treasure, listener-supplied hidden treasure uh, mini-episode coming up uh, really soon, maybe next week. Yeah, that sounds very special. Special yeah. hidden treasures from our audience. Yeah, but let's get to our hidden treasures right now, and we're going to start with me, right? Yes, yeah. we are. And rather than introduce it, Jeffy, I just want you to play it because I want us to just enjoy a little bit of music <laughs> right now. All right. Oh, Christ. Was that? You don't know what that is. No, I, I don't. I've kind of brought it for you. Did you like it? <laughs> I really was into that. What is that? You're not going to believe don't, it. Don't, don't make me feel shame by no, what no, that no, was. No, 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 no. You shouldn't awesome. feel any shame because this is <laughs> this is some overlooked music by a band that is not known for their music. That was White Knuckles by the band OK Go. Oh, interesting. And I would never have guessed that that was what. That's that was. what I wanted yeah. to bring to people because. Um, I love OK Go. I have some sort of, um, some a little bit of personal history with the band. Like when they were starting out, I, I, I knew their lead singer. In fact, I was at one of those video premieres years ago. Mm. But the thing is, is that their videos are so fucking good from the first one all the way through that it makes people ignore the music. And the, and the coldest of hot takes I've ever heard is everybody's hot take like, yeah, their videos are really good, but they're not much of a band. And, and, and their voice was that an old man said that no, hundred year old man. Yeah, that's a thousand that's old people that's don't a like thousand them. hipsters. <laughs> yeah, um, I can hear your fist shaking. <laughs> the, my, my point is, is that 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 hot take. They're not much of a band. It's because those videos are so good. The appreciation right. of their music because they are yeah. a real band. And that album that White Knuckles is from, I think that's one. That's their best. That what was album? great. What, yeah, album? what album is that? I believe that's on the... It's, it's such a confusing title. It's On the Color of the Sky or something. On the Blue Color of the Sky. On the mm. Blue Color of the Sky. There's some great songs on that. and and But you'll... You know, some of those songs, you'll hear them and you'll think like, well... Uh, all all this must pass. That's that's the Rube Goldberg machine video. Right. I've never listened right. to that song because I'm so interested watching in watching that thing happen. So and they clearly love Prince almost as much yeah. as we yeah. love Prince. So yes. I wanted you guys to that was great. Enjoy that little tasty treat. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Brian, did you know who it was? No. Wow. Uh, I was like, this sounds a lot like Prince. <laughs> yeah, these, I'm like, is this some weird Prince song yeah, I've never heard? Of all their Prince-influenced stuff, song? that's yeah. the princiest, yeah. for sure. 
The princiest. It is the princiest, <laughs> and there's a lot of ear candy on it. And there's a great video for it that involves dogs. Hmm. That involves dogs. All right, Kevin, you're oh, next. So next, I... You know, these are struggling times. I'm always looking for some feel-good music, right? And some things. And so I'm a big Sly Stone fan, which means that I'm a big Larry Graham fan, which thereby means I'm a big Graham Central Station fan. And there is a song that um, is so positive and brings me so much energy that I'm surprised upon its release. It was not a hit. It was barely charted. It didn't make top 50 R&B, nowhere even near right. the, the pop charts. But I'm surprised when it was released in the early 70s that all mental illness was not immediately cured because, <laughs> because it's so. this is not music. This is medicine you're about to hear. And it is called Release Yourself by Graham Central Station. Wow. Cured you oh, all. Thank yes. you. Yes. There we go. Release yourself. Graham Central Station. We I don't think we've even talked about gospel and gospel rock on this show. No, we that's had, we had gospel it. rock. That was that's that's uh the first time I heard that, I was like, holy shit. Like I wasted my <laughs> life not listening to this song. That's wow. Fantastic. That was amazing. Yes. That was amazing. That is a treasure. <laughs> I want to take yeah. this moment to remind everybody that we uh we give you an Apple Music playlist um, in the documentation to every podcast episode, and uh, you're going to want this one. Absolutely. Go there sure. and click yeah. on it and heal yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Brian Frank. Yes. Give us your hidden treasure. <laughs> so uh, my hidden treasure tonight um, is based on both themes of the show today, which is one, uh, glam rock uh, with Ziggy Stardust, so and two... Uh, a great album with an awful <laughs> album cover. Um, this song's title, it, they, it shares a title with a T-Rex song. Okay. I'm looking right at Kevin, <laughs> yeah, everyone intrigued. who's listening Color right now. Intrigued. Uh, same title, not, nothing to do with it other than the reference. And um, this came out in the year 2000 and uh, was... Going to be a hit. It was produced by Rob Cavallo, who uh, for everyone at home is a massively famous and successful producer. This is the least successful album he ever <laughs> produced. And um, I ended up uh, managing this band a couple years later and helped them uh, on their second album and to try to uh, come back from really a the huge disaster. disaster. <laughs> but this song, yeah, just chef's kiss. What go, is it? Go. They're all right. I got the stoppers on their side. Oh, they're the super side. 
Coach Blake. Is that where it's headed? <laughs> that was yeah, great. That what, is what? Uh, Calling All Destroyers by Czar. Oh, Czar. That's, you've been telling me to listen to Czar. Yeah. You know what? That... I need to listen to Zar because that's that's how I want enough's enough to sound. Right? right? You know what I mean? <laughs> like that that is a great fucking sound. Yeah, so Colin all destroyers. And if you personally, if you listen to the lyrics, you will catch every reference on these oh, two albums. It's every song. Yeah. Anyway. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Check that it was out. excellent. I'm gonna I'm gonna check out. And the album cover? Terrible. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> everybody yeah, uh, that's because you weren't Google managing that. him at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. you, you steered him right. Don't yep. do that again. Uh, <laughs> Jeffy Brandon, what do you have? Bring us home with your hidden treasure. I, I, I'll bring something that I don't even remember how I discovered this, but it's um, from 2015. Again, you will hear the Prince influence right away, but it's an uh, artist from London called Dornick, and this is a song called Strong that I, sh- I believe everyone should listen to. It's also, again, very upbeat. And uh, here we go. Here's Strong from Dornick. I feel like I'm playing Mario Kart. That is fun. I'll tell you what, it's clear something was going on this week that we definitely wanted something to feel good. (laughs) I mean, we're all coming out of here being like, you know what? Oozing positivity. Yeah, we need some positivity. We need something upbeat. I I love, I love, is Dornick a person or a band? Dornick is a band, but he's a person. Person band? A person person band? band. Yeah. Dornick can can split some beats in half a little bit. That's like drum and bass Prince. Yeah. 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 There's a little of the weekend in there, too. Yeah, that was great. The production was great. Oh, immaculate. I've never heard of Uh, him. Yeah, who's the the producer was... Russell Elevato, D'Angelo's producer. Mm. Oh, Oh, there you go. That says a thing or two, doesn't it? Wow, that wow. I feel I feel positive. I want I want the playlist right now. You, you know, yeah. T- yeah, I'm gonna hit the playlist right after this. Yeah, after I hard. make it. <laughs> However, we're not done. Oh, uh, there's no fat lady singing, but there's a skinny dude singing, and it, it it's it's our producer Kyle. Oh yeah, Kyle. Oh, oh, it's no. time for the crown of fame. Who walks away with this week's crown of fame? All right, so I will say that I do appreciate all your guys' uh, picks this week. Thank you. Oh, yes, good, I good, do. Good, um, good, good. I was actually gonna say Jeffy that does. Re- it reminded me of like a little JT, a little Justin Timberlake right. mm-hmm. with the weekend. Yeah. Um, 
Brian, that sounded it sounded like a TV show, like a sitcom or something. Is <laughs> that <laughs> you know? good or bad? It was good. I mean, it, it was good. And uh, Kevin, your your track that was a, uh, I I feel like that that song. Just listening to that song is like a solid replacement for like a cup of coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? And like, Xanax. Yes. And a foot bath. <laughs> yeah. All yes. all the above. And um, a fiddle. But the crown of fame this week goes to Adam Felber. Oh my God! I do. I do want to say why, and it's not necessarily for that song, but <laughs> but because of that band. Yeah. Um, I mean, you guys know. Here it goes again. But I, yep. have yep. you guys seen the music video for it? Yes. Yes. The, the mm-hmm. simple. Yeah. The, the treadmills. The treadmills. Yes. I love yes. it. Yes. Maybe I'll put a little uh, clip of that on the on the video. A but link. Send a link. Yeah. Attach a link. Um. Yeah, so Adam, you win. Adam, All right. you win. Adam Felber. All wow. right. Okay. Congratulations. Okay Shout out to Damien Tulo, the lead singer of, of OK Go. Real nice fine gentleman. Videos are still doing work for you, even here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they are. And uh, we've been doing work for you, but it's all pleasure, everybody. This has been Dad Band Land. Send your questions, comments, and your own cover band experiences. We want to get to that. I want to hear other people's cover band Absolutely. stories. Absolutely. To dadbandland at gmail.com. Tune in next week for a real update about what's going on with our band. Follow us on all the socials. We're getting better and better at that, and we're getting more and more responses. Yeah, and people are really following up on a series of questions. There's oh, yeah. A, there's I, like a community, a, I, a DBL community. I throw a question out the door. It comes back just covered. <laughs> <laughs> covered in answers. <laughs> Dad Van Land is produced by me and Jeffy Brandian. Open... Opening music montage by Jeffy, uh, editing and Starburns production by the great Kyle McGraw, who gave me the crown this week. Our theme song is by Adam Korn. We will catch you next time. DBL. 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 Podcast Network.